Welcome back, all you ghouls and goblins. Happy Halloween. It's your host, Holly, and I am back with another Missy Monday case for you all. Today's case is one that actually took place on Halloween, and some of the information on this case is limited and can be kind of confusing at times, but I'm going to try my very best to deliver the details in the easiest way possible. And all of our longtime followers know that no matter how little information there is on these cases, here at Crimeaholics, we believe they're so important to share. If you're new to the podcast, first of all, welcome. Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing at any given time in the U.S., and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. I am extremely passionate about the missing and find it my mission with my podcast platform to not only help share this information, but to let families know that their loved one is not forgotten. Families often feel forgotten after the hype of their missing loved one dies down and people go back to their regular daily lives. I never want a family to wonder if their loved one matters because to us at Crimeaholics and all of you guys, our listeners, they absolutely do matter. Today's case, we are taking it back to Halloween 2001. So without further ado, let's get into the disappearance of Cindy Song. Cindy Song was born on February 25th, 1980. Cindy was born in South Korea, and her actual birth name is Hung Jong Song. In 1995, Cindy moved from South Korea to the United States to live with some relatives in Springfield, Virginia, where she was going to attend high school. After graduating high school, Cindy enrolled at Pennsylvania State University, where she was majoring in integrated arts and was scheduled to graduate in spring of 2002. Unfortunately, Cindy would go missing before she accomplished her goal of being a college graduate. While attending college, Cindy was a very dedicated and focused student, and on top of her studies, she also worked two part-time jobs. So she was quite busy and rarely would she take the time midweek to go out partying with friends. But Halloween 2001, which fell on a Wednesday, was an exception since it was a fun holiday and everyone was going out and getting together for a night of fun. On October 31st, 2001, 21-year-old Cindy Song had plans to go out with a couple girlfriends to a costume contest that was being held at a local bar called Players Nightclub that was located in the 100 block of West College Avenue. Now, on this night, Cindy was going with two of her closest girlfriends named Stacy and Lisa, and they all were dressing up in various outfits. Cindy's outfit that she picked was a bunny, and while I'm sure your mind instantly went to a sexy or playboy bunny, it was actually just a cute bunny. 
Cindy wore a pink sleeveless shirt with a bunny design imprinted on the front. She had a set of bunny ears, a white tennis skirt that had a cotton bunny tail attached to the back, and brown suede leather knee-high boots. And she had also taken a red knee-length hooded parka out with her that night. And I want to reiterate that Cindy's costume was just a cute costume. Her friend said that, quote, it was a very cute outfit. It wasn't a sexy outfit, just cute. And that was just Cindy's thing. She was very cute and liked to look cute, end quote. Dressed in her bunny costume, Cindy, Stacy, and Lisa went off to the party at Players Nightclub. The trio hung out at the nightclub until about 2 a.m. Around 2 a.m., they left the nightclub and went to a friend's house to hang out and play video games. Now, the trio stayed at this friend's house for a few hours, and it was at around 4 a.m. that the girls decided that they were all exhausted and just ready to call it a night and head home. That night that the girls went out, Stacy was the one who agreed to be the designated driver for her and her girlfriends. So she was the one with the car and who drove Cindy back to her apartment after spending a few hours playing video games at the other friend's house. Stacy pulled up outside of Cindy's apartment located in the State College Park Apartments that was in the 300 block of West Clinton Avenue just after 4 a.m. Cindy got out of the car and said goodbye to Stacy and Lisa and began walking towards her apartment. It was said that Stacy at this point drove off and she didn't wait to see if her friend made it inside, but it was a quick walk to the door so Cindy would be there in just a few steps. And Cindy also had a roommate that she shared her College Park apartment with. But this roommate also had been out on that night. And when Cindy came back home in the early morning hours of November 1st, this roommate was not back yet either. When her roommate got back, Cindy wasn't there, which wasn't unusual for her to find that Cindy wasn't there. They're both adults and they would come and go as they pleased. So her roommate wasn't concerned, nor did she have a reason to be concerned at this point because the apartment appeared completely normal to her. Now, Cindy was an extremely independent person, and she often did her own thing, so it wasn't unusual for her friends to go a few days between seeing her. But what was unusual was Cindy not responding to any messages or calls from friends. Though she didn't see her friends on the daily, if they reached out to her, she would always get back to them if she missed a phone call or if she had a text from them. So when November 3rd rolled around and complete radio silence from Cindy, her friends started to get concerned. After learning that the roommate hadn't seen or heard from Cindy and neither had her friends that she went out with on Halloween, they reported Cindy missing on November 4th, 2001. So at this point, when they filed that police report, the friends were unsure whether Cindy ever actually made it into her apartment that night. Did someone attack her on the way inside after her friends drove off or did she end up going to someone else's apartment nearby? But when the authorities went over to the apartment, they found reason to believe that Cindy did in fact make it into her apartment that night. Inside her room, they found Cindy's backpack that she had taken with her to the nightclub, and they also found her phone. 
They also found the fake eyelashes that Cindy had worn out that night on the counter. So it was like Cindy had come home that night, peeled off those annoying eyelashes, which literally is the first thing I do when I get home from wearing a makeup look. And then she possibly started getting ready for bed before she seemingly vanished. Missing from the apartment, though, was Cindy's keys and her purse. And they also learned that when Cindy's roommate had come home on November 1st, after Cindy was supposed to have been home, the front door had been locked, but Cindy seemingly was already missing at this point. When Cindy's friends learned that her phone was left behind, but her keys and her purse were missing, they were extremely concerned because Cindy was the type of person to always take her phone with her, so it would have been out of character for her to go somewhere without it. Also, Cindy's bunny costume was notably not found in the apartment either. So the detective Brian Sprinkle said, quote, We know that whenever she left the apartment, she was wearing the clothes she had on that night. We also know that her purse, her pocketbook, or whatever she had with her that evening that contained her driver's license and credit cards were with her too, because we could not locate those in the apartment. End quote. Right off the bat, they didn't believe that Cindy would have ran off on her own. She wasn't the type of person to want to run away and start a new life somewhere else. Cindy had a lot of things to look forward to and a lot of things coming up in her life. She was scheduled to graduate within a few months. She had a concert that was coming up that she had bought tickets for. And on top of all of that, she had just ordered a new computer that was set to be delivered in the days after she had gone missing. So a lot of things weren't adding up with that theory that she ran off to begin a new life. Which I'm glad they really didn't consider this because as we know, so many missing persons cases that involve adults often try and just say that they ran away to escape life or to start a new life. There was a lot of questions whether Cindy had left her apartment after getting back to go meet up with someone else. Authorities looked into her phone records from that night and they found that she didn't have any calls in or out. And I'm assuming that there wasn't any text messages that they found either of her making plans to hang out with someone else. They also looked into her credit card activity as well as her email activity. And once more, they found absolutely nothing and zero activity on her cards. When the news traveled that Cindy was missing, people within the community became on high alert looking for her. Police and volunteers scoured a wooded area near Penn State searching for her or any clues that could lead them to some sort of answers, but they found nothing. It was like Cindy seemingly vanished into thin air, leaving no trace behind. Also, unfortunately, there was no surveillance footage that could point authorities in the right direction either, and I wasn't able to find whether there was cameras or not at the apartment complex, but given that it was 2001, there is a high possibility that there wasn't cameras, or if there was, it wasn't maybe the best quality. But either way, from what I found, there was no footage of Cindy leaving the apartment complex or anything of that nature. Authorities really had absolutely nothing to go off of. Authorities really had absolutely nothing to go off of. So they were kind of just floundering around trying to figure out what to do next. 
Now, a few days after Cindy's disappearance, a woman did call in with a possible sighting of Cindy. She said that she had witnessed a woman who looked a lot like Cindy screaming for help while a man threw her into the back of a car. This woman claimed that she apparently tried to approach the man and woman to see what was going on, and the man, I guess, practically told her just to mind her own business and to leave them alone. First off, the fact that this woman approached at all is scary and could have been potentially bad for her, but when this man kind of went off on her telling her to go away, the woman felt uncomfortable and backed off, but she immediately called police to report it. And I do have to say that when you see something, please say something. So this woman did do the right thing by calling the authorities. Now, the situation took place just over 200 miles away from where Cindy lived and took place in Philadelphia's Chinatown district. They were able to get a description of this individual, even though it was a little bit vague of a description from this woman, and they were able to kind of come up with a rough composite sketch of him. However, I will say I'm not quite sure how credible this witness is. Authorities obviously spoke with her several times, and each time they spoke with her, her story changed a little bit or new details would come out. They also felt that she was potentially not a very reliable source either. So because her story changed each time, they weren't quite sure if this was actually Cindy or not, and they just kind of sat this information aside until maybe something more would come of it. And unfortunately, there wasn't anyone else that came forward with seeing Cindy, nor did anyone else say they saw this situation play out in the Philadelphia Chinatown district. So, obviously, authorities searched high and low in Cindy's room, and they did find a diary that she had kept, and when they read the diary, they learned that Cindy and her friends had been experimenting with drugs in the recent months. They learned that not only had Cindy been smoking marijuana, but she had also been dabbling in using ecstasy. With this information in hand, authorities started to wonder if perhaps Cindy had been under the influence of more than just alcohol on that night that she went missing, and that maybe she had a bad reaction to the drugs that caused her not to be mentally stable, and that she had ran off in possibly a paranoid state. Or there was the possibility that maybe she left and had overdosed somewhere. But in my opinion, they would have found Cindy if she had overdosed somewhere. I feel like if you accidentally overdose, you can't really conceal your body yourself, you know? So I feel that they would have found her. So that theory just didn't really seem plausible. But I will say maybe the theory of the drugs causing her to be in a different mental state could be a possibility. But authorities spoke once more with Cindy's friends she had been with that night, and they said that Cindy did not take any drugs that evening and had only been mildly intoxicated when they dropped her back off at her apartment. An entire year went by and zero leads and honestly zero headway was made in this case. Authorities were literally hitting brick wall after brick wall, and it was looking like the only way Cindy would ever be found is if someone finally came forward with some sort of information. 
The TV show Unsolved Mysteries ended up featuring Cindy on one of their episodes, and this gave a lot of people hope that someone would see it and realize that they had seen something on that night. And again, that is a lot of the reason why we do these episodes on the podcast. It is our hope that getting extra exposure on these cases, that someone will remember something, that someone's memory will be jogged and they'll contact authorities with a key piece of information. So authorities and Cindy's friends were all so hopeful that this would lead to a big break that the case needs. This episode on Cindy did garner a new tip, and it led them to a man named Hugo Slinsky. Now, this is where some of the information gets a little bit confusing and can be somewhat overwhelming, but Hugo was someone that was very known to police, and he had been in trouble since he was an early teenager. At the time that Cindy went missing, he was 27 years old and he had been known to be a bank robber. And then eventually it would come out that Hugo was a serial killer. Hugo Salensky knew a man by the name of Paul Weekly, and Paul Weekly was actually a police informant. It was Paul Weekly that tipped off police about Hugo being a serial killer and had informed authorities that Hugo had bodies buried in his backyard. When authorities went to Hugo and asked him about this information that they had, he denied it and was acting completely confused about what led them to his house. And they also arrested Hugo right there on the spot because he had an outstanding warrant for an aggravated assault and robbery charge that he had committed a year prior. Now, the man that Hugo had attacked and robbed was a man by the name of Michael Kurkowski, and Michael Kurkowski had a son who he also named Michael. So we're going to refer to these guys as Michael Sr. and Michael Jr. So Hugo attacked Michael Sr., and after Michael Sr. was attacked by Hugo, Michael Sr.'s son, Michael Jr., and Michael Jr.'s girlfriend, Tammy, went missing. Now, backing up a little bit, and again, I know this information is a lot to cover and it's slightly confusing. So, Paul Weekly, that informant, was told by Hugo himself that he had buried Michael Jr. and Tammy in his backyard. So, the authorities went to Hugo's home with the knowledge that Michael and Tammy were most likely buried in his backyard. When they began digging up the backyard, they found more than just Michael and Tammy. They found three other bodies that they weren't expecting to find. They were able to identify two of the other bodies as belonging to local drug dealers, and the third has remained unidentified. But authorities were able to positively rule out that the third body belonged to Cindy's song. And I'm sure you're trying to figure out how all of this ties back to Cindy's disappearance. In 2011, Hugo's trial began for the murder of Michael Jr. and his girlfriend Tammy. So 10 years since Cindy had gone missing. And it was during this trial that the informant Paul Weekly dropped a bomb while on the witness stand. 
He testified during trial that not only had Hugo told him about the bodies being buried in his backyard that belonged to Michael Jr. and Tammy, he had also admitted to Paul that he had killed Cindy's song as well. According to Paul, Hugo admitted that he also did not act alone in the murder of Cindy and that Michael Jr. had also helped to murder Cindy. It was said that Hugo told Paul that Hugo and Michael had went to the college town in the early morning hours of November 1st, and that is when they spotted Cindy. And allegedly, Hugo and Michael mistakenly thought Cindy was a sex worker, and they kidnapped her. There has been a few stories that have circulated about what exactly happened to Cindy once the two men took her, and one of those stories was that she was kept in a large safe that was located in Hugo's home until she died. And again, this is just a rumor and nothing specific has ever been said from police one way or another, but according to what Paul Weekly was told, after she died, however she died, Hugo and Michael Jr. then buried Cindy in Luzerne County in Pennsylvania. And I'm sure you're now wondering, if these two guys were friends and did this to Cindy, why on earth would Michael Jr. now be dead and buried in Hugo's backyard? Paul Weekly said the reason for this was because Michael had kept Cindy's bunny ears as a souvenir. And with all of this new information being released during the trial, I am left wondering why in the heck it took so long for Paul to disclose this information to begin with. Why on earth did he wait until he was on the witness stand to drop all of this information? Why hadn't he done so when he first initially reported knowing bodies were buried in Hugo's backyard? That is what I want to know, and I wasn't able to find any information on why exactly the timing of this information coming out took place when it did. But it is a wild and plausible scenario on what happened to Cindy because she was said to often walk down to a store not far from where she lived. And I couldn't ever find if it was said exactly where Hugo and Michael Jr. allegedly picked up Cindy. But according to PenLive.com, it was said by an investigator that Paul said, quote, Michael liked young Oriental girls, so they kidnapped her, took her up there, and killed her, end quote. So here's the problem that police ran into with all of this. Paul Weekly was a reliable informant for them. Everything he had said about Hugo and where these bodies were checked out. So why would he randomly make up this information about Cindy and the connection between Hugo? They ruled out Everyone within Cindy's inner circle, including friends, family, co-workers, and even acquaintances. But Hugo and Michael Jr. are the ones that they couldn't positively rule out, nor could they positively rule whether they were involved. In an article published in 2009 by PenLive.com, Detective Sprinkle was quoted saying, Until the two homicide cases pending against Hugo are resolved, he can't talk in detail about what evidence police may have linking Hugo to Cindy. He goes on to say, still, of all the leads in those 21 binders, he thinks this one may provide some answers for Cindy's family and friends. 
obviously, since this article was released, Hugo was charged for those murders of Michael and Tammy, but nothing more about his connection to Cindy was released, or at least nothing that I could find. So when considering theories on this case, obviously the Hugo and Michael Jr. theory is one that I think is absolutely plausible. It would also be so random for Paul Weekly to have put Hugo and Michael together on this case. But then again, we do see that in a lot of cases sometimes. People will claim things about other people or themselves being involved to insert themselves into these cases and then to gain some sort of recognition. And while that might seem odd to regular people like ourselves, it happens so much. But I could see how the story of the men driving to the area around Penn State trying to find someone to kidnap or attack could be plausible. It sounds like a crime of opportunity if Cindy had been walking down towards that store not far from her house. Police also believe that it could have been someone else that randomly attacked or kidnapped Cindy while she was walking to that store. We know that Cindy's keys had been missing, the apartment had been locked up, and her wallet containing her IDs and credit cards were also missing. It seems like Cindy came home from a night out, pulled off her eyelashes, and then decided to walk up to the store like she had done many times. But something then happened to her between the store and her apartment. And while her friends do believe it's very odd that Cindy's phone was left behind, authorities found that her phone was actually dead. It hadn't had a charge in it, so... You know, maybe that was why Cindy had left her phone behind. She was planning on just making that quick trip up to the store. She wouldn't be gone long. She wouldn't need it. And then obviously something happened. The way that Cindy also had to walk to get to the store took her through an alleyway. So there's a possibility that someone had been down there as well, seen her walking and just attacked her and then did something with her body. There's also another theory that maybe Cindy was in fact walking to the store and while walking, she saw someone that she knew and they offered to give her a ride and then something bad happened. Unfortunately, there's just so much unknown in this case and many varying scenarios and possibilities. I would love to know your guys' thoughts and opinions on this case, so make sure that you're in our Facebook group or follow us on Instagram so you can discuss it on the posts that I make about it. Typically, with these missing persons cases, I do like to provide Facebook groups or websites that the family or friends have created for their missing loved one. However, I was unable to find anything for Cindy to share with you guys. If you know of one, please send it my way so that I can share it on our social medias as well to help spread awareness and for our listeners to go and follow to show support of the family. As I said, make sure you're in our Facebook group, Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group, so we can chat about this case and follow us on Instagram at crimeaholics.podcast. Unfortunately, that is all I have on this case. There has been no credible sightings of Cindy since she went missing, nor has anything belonging to her been recovered other than what was found inside of her apartment. If you or anyone you know has information on her disappearance, you can contact the Ferguson Township Police Department at 814-237-1172 or you can call 1-800-479-0050. 
At the time of her disappearance, Cindy Song was 21 years old. If she is still alive today, she would now be 42 years old. At the time of her disappearance, she was 5'1 to 5'3 in height and weighed between 110 and 130 pounds. Cindy was last seen wearing a bunny costume that consisted of a pink sleeveless shirt with a rabbit design imprinted on the front, rabbit ears, a white tennis skirt with a cotton bunny tail attached to the back, brown suede leather knee-high boots, and a red knee-length parka. Cindy is an Asian female with black hair and brown eyes. Cindy has her ears and navel pierced. Again, if you have information, please contact 814-237-1172. Crimeaholics, that is all for this week's Missing Mondays case. Make sure you're following on our social medias. If you want more true crime content, you can follow me on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you wish to follow myself personally on Instagram to keep up with what I'm doing in life, you can follow me at crimeaholly. Everyone, I hope you have a safe Halloween celebrating and just have a safe week in general. I will be back on Friday with another full-length episode for you. And until then, be aware and take care. 